Welcome to the Trinity Forum Conversations podcast. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing episodes on a variety of spiritual practices that we hope will be helpful for your reflections during this season of Lent. In today's episode, we'll talk with Richard Foster and Brenda Quinn about the important but often neglected virtue of humility. One of the dangers among religious folks is that they can become stuffy bores, and it is hilarity that frees us from that. We don't take ourselves so seriously. We can laugh at our own foibles. We can whatever. And, and so there's that. If you look carefully and you find persons that it's not hard to identify are humble people, you'll find the freedom that they have to just enjoy life and enjoy other people. Enjoy the successes of another person rather than being envious of it, things like that. And and so that's that's why humility, the most basic of the virtues, opens us up to a life of freedom. This podcast is an edited version of an online conversation recorded in December of 2022. You can find the full video of that conversation with transcript, as well as our full catalog of event videos on our website, ttf.org. And check out the show notes on this episode for links to further resources. Here, Cherie Harder. Whether in business or politics, in our social lives or on social media, we're constantly urged to promote ourselves, build our personal brand, grow our audience, and hone our image. Professional success and effectiveness often seems calculated by the metrics of grabbing the attention of and of imposing our will on others and doing so to scale. Relatedly, the Harvard Business Review recently found that most of us struggle to distinguish between confidence or even overconfidence and competence, such that arrogance and narcissism are often confused or conflated with skill and talent. And even within the church, there are those who seem to have greater admiration for stars or strongmen rather than shepherds who valorize charisma over care for others. And yet, as our guest today will discuss, humility has been considered in many traditions to be not only foremost among the virtues, but the taproot of all others, and as such, is absolutely essential to understanding the good life, as well as living a holy life. So how do we learn humility, and how do we pursue it? What would doing so mean for our own emotional and spiritual lives, as well as our communal life together? To help us wrestle with these questions and guide our discussion, I am so pleased to welcome two wise and deeply thoughtful Sherpas to the topic, our guests today, Richard Foster and Brenda Quinn. Richard Foster is a theologian, author, and the founder of Renovare, a nonprofit which models and resources the fullness of life with God to the spiritual practices of Jesus and the historical church. He has served as a pastor, a professor at Friends University, and has taught worldwide for decades on spiritual formation. He's also the author of several books, including Celebration of the Disciplines, which was named by Christianity Today as one of the top 10 books of the 20th century, Streams of Living Water, Sanctuary of the Soul, Celebration of Discipline, The Life with God Study Bible, a work undertaken in partnership with others, and his new release, Learning Humility, which we've invited him here today to discuss. 
Joining him is Brenda Quinn, a pastor of spiritual formation at Living Way Fellowship Church in South Denver. Brenda has a long association with Renovare and has helped develop and refine many of the ideas in learning humility. She is also a writer and the author of the character profiles in the Life with God Study Bible. Richard and Brenda, welcome. It's great to see you. Thank Wonderful you so much. <laughs> So just as we start out, uh, Richard, you have chosen to write a book on humility at a time <laughs> which could be considered the heyday of narcissism. Uh, exactly. and, perhaps, <laughs> and perhaps even more unexpectedly, you framed an encouragement to pursue humility in the context of reflection on the calendars and virtues of the mistreated Lakota people. Uh, so as we start off, I'd love to simply ask, what led you to write this book mm -hmm. at this time in this way? I'm glad you asked the question because for so long, I was just observing culturally how this most very basic and fundamental of the virtues in virtue ethics, this is, this is the basic virtue for all through the centuries but not in our century. And I just kept wondering why. I mean, I'd see this contrast. I'd read the old writers, and then we look at today. And so I, I was wrestling with the question of why. And it was actually just in a New Year's Eve time when I was reflecting on if I needed to learn anything or grow. I just heard these two words, learn humility. Oh, so I decided to learn. Now, in the beginning, I'm just jotting notes, you know, wherever, and just trying to learn a little bit and using kind of a journal format. And I, I didn't want to use the, you know, the Latin Gregorian calendar, January, February, that I don't know. And I ended up choosing the Lakota calendar. I just liked it. And so I followed that calendar rhythm. And, and then, I mean, you know, some of this was almost stream of consciousness writing. I wondered, does this have any, any future for anyone beyond just for me? And that's fine. So I asked four or five people, and Brenda Quinn was one of those, to just read what I'm doing chapter by chapter and see what where it leads us. And Brenda kept giving these wonderful insights and questions and challenges. And so when it finally, amazingly, here it is, a book. Now, this was a for us, it was a three-year project. Now, in the book, we have it condensed into a one-year journal kind of project. But see, for me, <laughs> I'm old now, and I need times when I sometimes I, I just need a break from thinking about these, this thing. And God was so gracious, sure, <laughs> just relax. <laughs> and then I'd pick it up again. And so that's kind of how it went. And uh, then when, you know, it's become a book, I asked Brenda if she might help me in these kinds of settings. 
to think about these things. So that's why Brenda is here. She's a, a pastor and has a family and works with so many people. And I just thought her voice would be helpful. Absolutely. Well, as we start our discussion on pursuing humility, it's always good just to know exactly what we're talking about. And it's a term that still seems to inspire some, in some people's minds, sort of a either a Uriah Heap-like unctuousness or, you know, the sort of self-abasement <laughs> or poor self-image that I think both of you have referred to at times as warm theology. But you have something very different in mind. And so, Brenda, maybe we can start with you. Like, what is the humility that we're we're talking about, and and how is it different from some of the the stereotypes? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think we're the biggest thing is we're talking about it in a biblical aspect, and we're talking about it with Jesus as our model. He he's our our first and foremost model. And Richard talks about that at the very beginning of the book that Jesus is the one that we look to, and there's a great definition by C.S. Lewis in the book, and I've got one here by Timothy Keller. He says, the truly gospel humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a self-forgetful person. And I think that's what we want to think of when we think of a, a humble person is somebody who's not so focused on themselves and on promoting themselves or thinking about themselves but as a Christian, focused on God and on Jesus and on living life for him and according to his direction and according to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. Oh, that's great. <laughs> One of the things we can learn, just think of the opposite of humility. That is egocentric, arrogance, narcissism. It, I, I mean, in our culture, it doesn't take us long to see examples of this. And if we will watch this carefully, we will see a huge contrast. And it doesn't look very nice. <laughs> now, the Christ event, the life, the birth, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, these all frame for us a kind of paradigm for how to live in a humble means, because that's the most distinguishing characteristic of Jesus himself is his humility. And one of the earliest ones to think about this was Paul. And he wrote about this in Philippians when he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look to your, not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be within you that was in Christ Jesus. And then, then he goes into this wonderful poetic discussion of how that he was in the form of God, he didn't regard equality re with God. He emptied himself and humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So humility, of course, the very word itself comes from the earth, humus, Think we think of. 
and and being connected to the earth so that is we have an accurate assessment of who we are we don't overinflate it we don't debase it like you said the worm theology that sometimes creeps in in christian circles we learn to live now that's a simple easy way of understanding that's a definition of it but it's also immensely complicated because this involves all of life all human relationships everything we do what we think about and how we think about mm -hmm. so <laughs> that's that's why i started out by saying that jesus is the divine paradigm by which we conjugate all of the verbs of our lives mm -hmm. and the spirit of humility mm -hmm. uh, we learn if we if we'll just take matthew mark luke and john live with them for a year or two and see what you learn about humility. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pick up on the down to earth, you know, the hummus aspect of humility in that, you know, in your work, you lay out a number of characteristics of what humility is. And some of them are, are rather surprising as well as quite intriguing. And one that I wanted to ask you about was you frequently mention the freedom that comes from mm -hmm. humility, including a tendency to laugh more freely, something that you called holy hilarity. Oh, what do you see as the link between humility, freedom, good humor, and cheer? It's so wonderful to lay down this everlasting burden of always trying to feel important. See what a freedom that is? I don't have to impress. I don't have to make sure everybody thinks well of me I, I don't i'm free from all of that and when when we're free from that it gives us an openness toward other people first to listen to people and value others but then see one of the dangers among religious folks is that they can become stuffy bores, and it is hilarity that frees us from that. We don't take ourselves so seriously. We can laugh at our own foibles. We can whatever, and and so there's that. If you look carefully, and you find persons that it's not hard to identify are humble people, you'll find the freedom that they have to just enjoy life and enjoy other people. Enjoy the successes of another person rather than being envious of it, things like that. Mm. And, and so that's, that's why humility, the most basic of the virtues, opens us up to a life of freedom. Does that make sense? It does. It does indeed. <laughs> you know, another characteristic I wanted to ask you both about. Maybe we can start with you on this, Brenda. And I'm actually going to ladle two questions into one. But one characteristic you mentioned is freedom from domination and control. And it, mm -hmm. it does seem somewhat intuitive that the humble do not try to dominate and control others. But it's also fair to say that we live in an age of domination. You know, even our language reflects this, you know, how eager people are to you know, own the libs or, you know, um, we speak in the language of ownership 
you know, triumphalism and the like. And there are those who mistake gentleness or humility for weakness and find weakness to be a provocative invitation to humiliate. So would love to hear from both of you just your own reflections about humility and, and, and domination, but also how the humble do and should respond to their own attempted humiliation by others. And, and Brenda, maybe we could start with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a, I mean, it's a question that I think we all have to consider and think about how we're, how we're living our lives every day. And I always look, I look to Jesus and he's, Jesus is so hard to figure out when we read the gospels. He's hard to define when it comes to humility because he's not weak. He's, he's definitely not a weak person. He's, just, you know, he's God and he was absolutely a strong person. And yet there were times where Jesus would refuse to answer a question and he wouldn't defend himself. And other times where he would speak out very boldly and, and he always spoke truthfully. And I think probably for all of us, when we read the gospels, I'm still surprised sometimes at Jesus, at the way he handles situations and the things that he says. And so when I think about him as a humble person, you know, he would not have come to this earth and become a human person without, he couldn't have done it without being humble, right? Mm -hmm. And if he hadn't come to this earth and become our savior by being humble, all of us would have no hope, right? If, if not for his humbling of himself, we would not have a savior. And so when I think about the importance of humility in each one of our lives and that being a Christ-like character, when you think about it that way, it's so essential. It's if we can't be humble, then we can't be Christ-like. So I don't know that there are any answers, you know, for every situation, for every person, for every personality. We're all so different from one another. We, we live in different situations and have, you know, differing daily lives and, and ways that we encounter needing to be humble in our lives. And the only conclusion I've been able to come to is that if we're not walking daily with him, if we're not being attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading, we're not going to be able to be the humble people who imitate Christ and who actually live out the life of Christ. Cause we can't do it on our own, right? We he's it's his life in us that we're seeking to live out every day, according to who each of each one of us is according to our personalities, according to our gifts, according to our experiences and our place in life. So that's not an easy question, but I do believe that God is faithful in living out that life of humility within us um, because we have the life of Christ in us. Yeah. One of the most surprising things to me as I began to study this was the characteristic of, I don't know any other way to say it than strength, that humility is strength. That number one, I don't have to defend or project a false image. I'm free from all of that. That at the same time, I'm able to affirm other people and their giftings. I mean, one of the reasons with Renovari, we always try to share and speak in teams just like Brenda and I are doing right now, so that we can lift each other up. 
and uh, value the contribution of everybody. And those especially who have been humiliated in our culture, the sat upon, spat upon, ratted on, we want to hold them. That, that, that's a characteristic of strength in life. So that was what was surprised me the most, was seeing the writers all through the centuries. Evagrius of Ponticus was saying that he, he gave the eight deadly thoughts and then the eight godly virtues. And in the godly virtues, humility was the one that conquers pride. And I kept asking myself, why? Because it seems... Pride seems so strong until I realized as they begin to develop it that humility is far stronger and can defeat pride in the human life and culturally. But it's hard for us to understand that today because of the cultural ethos of self-promotion <laughs> there was a book back in the 90s called The Frenzy of Renown, and he describes how this drive to be known, you know, yeah. accolades, was such a driving, a frenzy driving force. I want to encourage us to think of the great value of anonymity. <laughs> Just, you know, I love to be able to go into a supermarket and nobody knows who I am. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and then I can meet somebody. Here's a mother with a little baby. I can learn a little bit about this little one and what he or she is like. And, uh, you know, see, that's that's strength. And that is affirming to other human beings. And it's and Jesus gives us both the model, but also the abilities. Now, this is a whole process of spiritual formation. Remember how Paul said to the Galatians, I am in travail. That's a birthing image. I am in travail until Christ be formed in you. And boy, that's what we want. Right. You spoke of anonymity, but I want to ask you a little bit about some of the opposite, which is the burdens and responsibilities of leadership. And you both have been leaders, Richard. You, you have founded an organization, and Brenda, you're a pastor at a church. But Leadership often, you know, necessarily requires at least some degree of prominence as opposed to anonymity. It often involves pushing for an idea or an agenda, working to best competitors, you know, making decisions, hard decisions and evaluations, you know, which we rarely associate with, with humility. What does it mean to lead with humility? What does it look like? And Richard, I'll toss that one to you first. We learn to become the servant of all. And that is what leadership, how we lead. 
we lead by serving. And as we serve, like in Brenda's case, a congregation, you're learning the lives of people. Obviously, decisions have to be made, of course. And sure, the buck stops with the leader in that. But the leader is not alone. The leader's gaining insight and wisdom from, in Brenda's case, the congregation. In a corporation, you try to learn. There, I mean, people have great insights and wisdom. And so we listen. That's the first thing that comes with leadership, is that we listen to people, value people, value their opinion, mm -hmm. even though we may make a decision that goes in another direction. That's the way it is in leadership. I remember the story of, I think it was Eisenhower, who he was listening to an issue and listening to the cabinet. And they, they said, oh, no, we shouldn't do it. No, 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 no. And he paused for a little while and said, the eyes have it. <laughs> he made a decision in a different direction. Now, sometimes you're not right in that, but but that's part of what it means to be a leader. But you do it, you do it as a servant without domination and without arrogance that I know everything. Mm -hmm. And I try to learn from other people. Yeah. Does that help? It does help. <laughs> and actually, uh, kind of on that note, I want to ladle an additional question on and then toss it to you, Brenda. So feel free to both comment on the, the previous question, but also wanted to ask one more, which is, you know, there are times when the call for humility has been, you know, for lack of a better word, almost weaponized in that directed towards particular groups of people, often mm -hmm. those who are already seen as less than in some way. And I'm you know, thinking here of historical calls for humility or derision towards uppity women or minorities, you know, people who have forgotten their place and are reminded to be humble. And I wanted to ask your thoughts about how one distinguishes between a godly summons to humility and a weaponized one, or whether that distinction needs to be made. Yeah, I, I'll just add to the previous question. You know, I absolutely agree that servant leadership is, is what we're called to as God's leaders. And in the church, such a big focus for us at my church as leaders is that we are there to equip. We're not, we're not there. It's not about us. It's not about us and, and us getting the platform, us getting the attention, us getting the acclaim. It's about us equipping our congregation, our people, God's people to go out and live in this world according to all that they are, all he's given them and the places that they hold in this world there, you know, we, we say over and over and over again, you are all ministers. We're not the ministers. You we're all ministers. Um, that's biblical. We're, we're all ministers in this world. And we're just here. Our particular role is to equip you to go out and do the ministry in this world. So I think that completely changes the perspective on you know, this is my platform. This is me getting the attention, me making a name for myself. But then I think in thinking about your second question, you know, the important thing to remember is that biblically we're all called to humility 
And if, if a particular group or type of person is being singled out and being told to be humble, that's usually, you know, that's usually a warning sign that, that there's something wrong in the teaching that's being given. And, you know, all the, all the verses I read in scripture are, are being given to men and women. They're being given to all walks of life. Sometimes they're directed specifically at those that are in the more privileged positions in life to be that they need to be humble. They need to accept the people of lower position, whatever that might be. The passage in first Corinthians about all the parts of the body being necessary and needed. I've just been teaching a class the last few weeks, and we're talking about that passage and how vital that passage is. And you know, I'm encouraging my class members, is is this a passage you're thinking about? We should be thinking about this every week. This should be a passage on the forefront of our minds and our hearts, because what Paul teaches here is serious. And it's true that every part is needed. And if we're not doing our part, and if we don't have every part of our body here at the church or, or wherever that might be functioning in the role that God's given them, we're missing out and we're not having the fullness of what is supposed to be happening, of the kind of service and the kind of ministry in this world that's that's needed. You remember Paul's words, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. All parties. Now, culturally, we've had a tendency to make subordination for, for example, like women, and that is not humility. That is domination, and it's not of God. We learn mutual subordination out of reverence for Christ. I learn ways to submit myself to my children. They can teach me. I learn ways to submit myself to my wife, and in Brenda's case, to those in the congregation. We learn mutual subordination out of reverence for Christ, not, you know, pushing somebody down so I can be more prominent. That's just the opposite of the way of Jesus. I just need to follow up on that and say, how then do we do this? How do we pursue humility, not just individually, but also enable and encourage it communally? So, Richard, maybe we can start with you. Find somebody you can serve. Just look around and see if there's somebody that you can serve in some way and see what you learn. I mean, do that for six months. See what you learn. And uh, then we can worry about other people and other situations. Yeah, I, and I think, well, first, I, I want to say that when I look around me at the local church, I, I do see a lot of humility already. Mm -hmm. I, I do see people living for Christ and serving this world and loving people and helping the seekers and paying attention to those in need. I see so much of it. So, and I know this audience here today, so many of you are doing this in such beautiful ways. And I, I, you know, I don't want today to come off as this is, is another scolding for our Christian community because there are 
so many beautiful things happening throughout the church of Jesus in our world right now. But we can't get away from the truth that we are living in a culture where we are all soaking daily in a different message, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no way that that isn't, isn't affecting all of us and isn't just nudging at us every day that you should be doing this if you want to really make a life for yourself. You should be acting this way or pursuing this if you really want to have an identity that matters. You know, we, we're all getting those messages all the time and, and, and their lies, their, you know, their, their deceptions that, that come from an enemy in this world, but they affect us and they certainly affect the people that we lead. They, they affect those in our congregations. They affect those that we are ministering with in all the various types of ministry that we're doing. And so I think that for us as leaders who are committed to humility, we're committed to living biblically and being humble in the way that Jesus was, we need to find more ways of helping our people, the people that we lead to enter into this humility, this life of humility, and to affirm it, to remind our people that this is God's way for us, that this is what we're called to. We're not called to imitating the world. We're not called to falling into step with the world in the ways the world does these things and the way the world finds its identity. That's not God's way for us. And, and we are supposed to live counterculturally. We're, we're supposed to not look like the world. And that's sometimes that's going to mean us getting hurt, us, us getting taken advantage of, you know, that that's the reality. It happened to Jesus. You know, he, he was persecuted. His, his people throughout the ages have been persecuted. And, you know, that's the hard word in all of this too, that sometimes that's a reality, but we have God on our side and God, God's the one who will lift us up and God's the one who will take care of us. He's the one that will bring justice in the end. And that doesn't mean that we never speak truth. It doesn't mean that we never stand up for the ways of righteousness that we believe in, in our society, but that's where, that's where we need God's leading every day. And, and we need to be following God's way and, and not the world's way. Richard and Brenda, thank you for just a really rich and, um, and valuable conversation. I want to give the last word to Brenda and to Richard. So Brenda, let's start with you. Well, I just encourage all of us to take some moments to read the short book of James. It, he James talks about humility in, in some wonderful ways and some great reminders. And I'll just leave us with one short verse, James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's hold that verse before us and think about the depth of meaning just in that short verse and God's truth in it. Let me leave with you the little prayer that I followed all those three years. Each day, I still actually use it though not as faithfully but it's a very simple prayer. It's a formation prayer for the forming of our lives before God. So it's a prayer, Lord, purify my heart. Remember, only God purifies the heart. We don't do that. We can't change our hearts. Only God can. Purify my heart. Renew my mind. Sanctify my imagination enlarge my soul, purify my heart, 
renew my mind, sanctify my imagination, enlarge my soul. Live with that prayer for a while. Brenda and Richard, thank you so much. It's been a real delight to talk with you both today. Thank you to all of you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Trinity Forum Conversations podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're enjoying these, please leave us a review. Visit our website at ttf.org for more information and show notes from this episode, as well as resources such as our Trinity Forum readings and videos from our past events.